let's just go ahead and get into what we got today, all right? Um, so we're starting a new series that I'm really excited about, and we're calling it Ideology. Ideology. Ideology stands for the study of ideas. And this is what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks. Today, we are going to be leaning into what does it mean and really how do we and the importance of having good theology. How do we build? Why does it matter? How do we grow in having good theology? And that's just a fancy word for how do we learn about who God is and what that means for our lives? And then if you hang in there with us next week, we're gonna be leaning into what is our ecclesiology around here? And that's just a big fancy word for why do we do the things that we do and call them church? Why do we do the things that we do and call them church? And then week three, we're gonna be finishing up by looking at what does the person of the Holy Spirit mean to us and how does the Holy Spirit operate within this firm foundation that we've been building over this series? So I wanna encourage you to lean in today. Can we lean in today together? This, this is gonna be a little more of a, uh, a teaching than a preaching, but I feel like we are in a very critical stage in culture. We are in a very critical stage in culture. There are ideas flying around us more than ever before. And ideas can move us into places and belief systems quickly and at times destructively if we don't know where our anchor is. This is not a new challenge for the church. I think every generation likes to say that they, had it, they have it the hardest. But this tension of feeling the pressure of culture, trying to move the needle of what is right and wrong is not a new challenge. This is a challenge that's been around for as long as the church has been around. And as followers of Jesus, we have to know what we believe. Can I get an amen? We have to know what we believe. And I would say, that where we are in culture, that if we don't know what we believe, culture will tell us what we need to believe. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, we're gonna start in verse one. It says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them and a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. This verse in 2 Timothy 4 is not just our launching point today, but it really will serve to be our anchor for these next three weeks because I don't know if you felt it, but we are not just reading about a warning that Paul, the writer of, of the book of Timothy, is giving to this young, uh, this young disciple, Timothy. It's actually a warning for where we are in culture. Because verse 4 is happening right now that we're turning our ears away from truth. And we are turning aside to myths. We're turning our ears away from truth and we're turning aside to myths. Now look, there's, there is a phenomenon that is happening right now in culture and it is the rise and the normalization of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories have always been with us. As long as there's been people, there have been alternative thoughts on what might've happened and why it happened. Conspiracy theories are not new, but what is new is that conspiracy theories went from what being seemed to be the fringes of society to now mainstream thought. It, it's, this is crazy. Listen to this stat. Forbes magazine, okay, Forbes magazine did a survey and they found that only 66% of 18 to 24 year olds believe the world is round. I want you to think about this for a minute. <laughs> one third, one, <laughs> I'm gonna try to be serious. One third of 18 to 24 year olds either think the earth is flat or are unsure. Scientists across the board are scratching their heads on how could this become something that is representing a third of 18 to 24 year olds beliefs on the state of our universe. But it's actually not complex because the flat earth theory is not a new theory. But what is new is YouTube. So what used to be something that was talked about like in the back rooms of cafes and you had to know somebody who knew somebody who got that one copy of that self-published book by that one dude that you had to share the copy. That's like, that used to be how you would get introduced to conspiracy theories. Now there are documentary series that are indoctrinating ideas. And hear me, ideas will shape what we believe. So now, one third of 18 to 24 year olds have been shifted into wondering or believing 
Is the earth flat? Now, if you're here and you're a flat earther, and statistically, a lot of you are. Okay? I'm not here to make fun of you in totality, just a little bit, but not like. But what I want us to understand is that ideas come from somewhere. Ideas come from somewhere and the ideas that we have in us and the ideas that are coming at us will affect the belief system that we have inside of us. I would venture to say that if not all of, most of our ideas are birthed from three places. Culture, and this is what's happening in the flat earth phenomenon, is that culture is moving the needle and then you throw on top of it a growing distrust of people in authority that's happening in culture. And so now it's like we can't believe anything that anybody's telling us. I mean, whenever before, when you have medical professionals giving you medical advice, now as someone who's never studied medicine, I feel empowered and I'm actually encouraged to disagree with them and tell them what I think my treatment should be. Let's just think about that for a minute. Someone who's given their entire life to medicine, now we go in because we saw a commercial and we're saying, no, I think this is what I need to do. The reason that's happening is because culture has shifted from turning its back on that we're in it together to help one another to everyone's out to get one another. And so when that happens, it shifts our ideas. Culture has an impact on what we think and why we think what we think. Our past, can we say the second place is our past? Our past is another place where, where it, our, our ideas are dramatically impacted. Things that you experienced in your family, pain that you've encountered, trauma that you've gone through, is going to shape the ideas that you have about culture, about family. Now, this gets really obvious, right, when we look at a map on election night. There's only a few places where we wonder what's going to happen, right? Because where you grow up is often a reflection of then what you believe. Because our, our past, our experience, it shapes our thoughts, our ideas. That, that's what happens. The third place is our preferences. Can we just say that sometimes we just like some things more than we like other things? Yeah. And so you're going to have ideas that are going to push you towards your preferences. And so we have these, these three big factors of culture and our past and our preferences that are fueling the ideas that are flying inside of our minds and giving fuel to the ideas that are coming at us. But hear me, these ideas and these three aspects of our lives that affect those ideas are not just relegated to do we think the earth is round. They affect everything, including what we think about God. They will shape and move us if we don't have an anchor that is holding us. 
Our ideas are loaded with the baggage of our past, our culture, and our preferences. And our ideas about God and who God is and how we see him are affected and impacted, not just by what's happening in culture, but what's also happened in our lives and our personal preferences. And this is why the word of God is our anchor. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. God gave us the Bible. He he gave us this anchor so that we would be able to stand on truth in the midst of the ideas that are shifting in culture, the impacts of our past and the temptations of our preferences. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Amos 7, verse 1. Amos 7, verse 1. Now, let me briefly just give you some very familiar background to what's happening here in Amos chapter 7. The people of God have yet again lost their way. They were not living the way that they should be living. They're not doing what they should be doing. And God spoke to a shepherd named Amos and told him basically, my people have turned from me and the consequences of that is not small. Now, if you're a Bible reader in the house, this rhythm of the people of God turning from the plans of God is gonna feel very familiar to you because this is a rhythm that has been around since the creation of the world. God's plan, man's turning from that plan, then men enduring the consequences of their rebellion and sin, and then God showing them grace and making a way for them to enter back in to all that he had for them. And here in Amos 7, this is what it says. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. This is Amos speaking. He was preparing a swarm of locusts after the king's share had been harvested. And just as the late crops were coming up, when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, O sovereign Lord, forgive How can Jacob, and Amos is is speaking right here when he says Jacob, he's speaking about the people of Israel. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. And so it says that the Lord relented. And he said, this will not happen, the Lord said. And then verse four, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. And it dried up the great deep and devoured the land. And then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. 
So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the sovereign Lord says. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. And then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people, Israel, and I will spare them no longer. As I've said time and time again, our approach to building good theology is our study and our understanding of God, not based on the teaching of one scripture, but by leaning into the entirety of scripture. Meaning that the meta narrative of the Bible, the big story that God is telling, shapes our understanding of these little stories that build the great story. This is why we can read a passage like this and not leave thinking that God is angry, but we leave understanding that God is just. That when we turn away from the ways of God, Romans 3.23 says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That when we turn from the ways of God, the consequence of that is severe. And God is not a God that will negotiate righteousness. He is the same today. He was the same yesterday and he will be the same tomorrow. God does not negotiate what is right or wrong based on the behaviors of the people that he is leading. God is God all by himself. He is righteousness all by himself. He is goodness all by himself. He, the plumb line, is Jesus. Now we can read this passage in Amos that doesn't even speak of the coming Messiah, Jesus, and understand that the plumb line has been set for the people and the only way to enter into righteousness will be to measure yourself up against the plumb line. The entirety of scripture will paint the same picture. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We fall into traps when we lean into a verse and build our belief system around a verse when that verse doesn't fit into the narrative of scripture. What I mean is you can take anything out of context when it's by itself, but in the nature of the book, it's unmovable. We have to know the whole Bible, not just parts of the Bible. We, we have to know what the Bible is saying, the big story of God, finding Jesus, the promise of who he is, the fulfillment of what he did and why that matters for our lives in Genesis all the way to Revelation. Because this book is telling one story. And when we begin to live that way, it will deepen and strengthen our understanding of who God is. The righteous standard had been set. Amos shows, God shows Amos a plumb line. 
And he says that you will be measured by this. And if you will enter into grace or experience destruction is based on how you fall on the plumb line. Now, look, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't do construction, uh, but I do read. And so I read <laughs> that a plumb line, this is a plumb line right here, that a plumb line is used to make sure that when you're building a wall, that it's straight because it's almost impossible in the chaos of the project to be able to judge if you're building it straight or not. So you have to have an objective measure with a weight on the bottom that is going to allow gravity to show you this is a plumb line. This is a straight line. And therefore, if I build something without this and then try to bring it up to this, most likely it will be crooked. But if I build my structure using this, even if I don't like what it's telling me. Look, if I was a carpenter and I'm in the middle of a project and I drop my plumb line and it's not straight, I can't go, well, dang, let's move it. Because I already did all this work. I might disagree with what the plumb line is telling me, but disagreeing with what the plumb line is telling me doesn't give me authority to change the plumb line. The plumb line does not change or move with the whims, the challenges, the difficulties, the hurdles of the project. It remains true. And all of the work of the project must line up with it or it will end up being crooked. What this reveals to us is that we have to be aware of the whims of culture, the impacts of our past and our personal preferences, because they are going to want to pull us away from center and left unchecked. It will lead us to having a shaky place that we're calling our foundation that we're building our life on. The plumb line has been set. Isaiah 28 verse 16 says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion. This is speaking of Jesus. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Jesus only did what the Father in heaven was doing. Jesus is a perfect 
representation of the kingdom of heaven and how it lives here on earth. He himself in John 14 said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, meaning that he and the father are an exact reflection of one another. Jesus is the plumb line that was spoken about in Amos. Jesus is the cornerstone and he is the plumb line of righteousness and justice spoken about in Isaiah. And therefore, to have good theology means that we have a Jesus-centered theology. That Jesus is at the center of our understanding of who God is and what that means for our lives. The forces of culture are gonna push our structure. The past, things we've gone through in life, it's gonna push our structure, but the, pl- the plumb line stays fixed. Our preferences, things that would just be easier, it's gonna, pu- it's, gonna push, it's gonna push on that structure, that foundation, it's gonna push on that wall that we're trying to build But the plumb line has been set. And look, this is why it matters for us that we have good theology that's anchored in Jesus and measured against his righteousness and justice. Because in light of the influence of culture, the impact of our past, and the desires of our preferences, our ideology, meaning our ideas, our study of our own ideas, will start to shape our theology. But it's our theology that's supposed to shape our ideology. Can I say that again so you can write it down? Our ideology will start to shape our theology. But it's our theology that's actually supposed to shape our ideology. Now, I think we all know someone who has shifted, changed, or abandoned what they believe. Maybe you're here today, and you're in the middle of what feels like a shift, or the church word that's being used a lot now, a deconstruction of what you believe. But hear me, I have never had a conversation with someone that finds themselves in a struggle with what they believe coming out of a deep dive in the Bible. It is always fueled by a deep dive in culture and the thoughts of the day. A hundred percent of the time. A hundred percent of the time. It's normally a response to pain that has happened in their life. They've lost someone. Someone has hurt them terribly they've been mistreated or rejected or we're leaning into how we feel about what the bible says versus allowing the bible to reveal how god feels about some of the things that we feel I might not like something that the Bible says, but just like the carpenter, 
not liking what the Bible says does not give me the authority to change it. It might be hard. It might be uncomfortable. It might be difficult. But what I feel does not give me the authority to believe that it's not true. There are things that I like in life that I shouldn't. Can I just be real? There are things that I like that I should not like. So maybe there's some things that I do like that I shouldn't like. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have a plumb line. We take our life outside of the plumb line. We try to make ourselves the plumb line. It equals confusion. The plumb line has been set. Again, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. For time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Have you felt this? Instead, to suit their own desires... They'll gather around them a great number of YouTube videos that say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. So what do we do in the wrestle? What do we do in the wrestle? When, it, when we feel the pressure of culture, when we feel the impact of our past, when we, when we feel the drawing of our personal preferences, how do we allow the word of God to anchor us versus our ideas to move us? Step one in building a Jesus-centered, good, solid foundation, a good theology, we take the ideas that are in us and we measure them against the plumb line God has given us. We take the ideas that are in us and then we measure them against the plumb line that God has given us. Again, the plumb line is Jesus and God has given us the Bible as an anchor and a clarifier to reveal the heart of God and the glory of Jesus to us. So let's get really practical. Can we take a really easy, non-controversial one? You guys know that I'm not gonna do that. Here we go. The volume in culture is loud and loaded around the ideas of identity and gender, okay? Having four kids in public school, go Hawks. <laughs> Having four kids in public school, I am faced daily with what feels like an offensive spirit to normalize what is not normal and to demonize anyone who would say anything on the contrary. And so, to pull on what culture is saying and to not be moved by where the winds of culture is going. Parents, can I speak to you for a minute? You have to lead this conversation with your kids. Because if you're not leading this conversation with your kids, then you will be left to react to the conversations other people are having with your kids. 
It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But you have to lead it because other people are having it. And can I just be like really honest with you? It would be so much easier. My personal preference would be like, oh, culture is changing. So maybe we should change too. That would be easier, wouldn't it? That'd be simpler. Culture's going this way. Man, my personal preference is to not ruffle any feathers. Man, I'm just going to roll this way too. I've gotten bullied in my past. Man, I don't want to stand up for anything. So I'm just but the plumb line has been set. And we want to build a good theology built on a foundation of what the Bible says, not on the ideas that are in our heads. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says that we demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So how do we build good theology? First is we take the ideas that are in our heads and we start measuring them up against what the Bible says. Step two is that we take the thoughts that are in our heads that don't line up with the plumb line that's been set. We take them captive so the word of God can demolish them. It's not a fight of personal strength. It's not a fight of willpower to change our preference or the impact of our past. It's the power of the word of God that rebuilds what the world has broken so that we can stand on the truth of his word and experience the grace and rest of knowing that our life is set on a plumb line, not set on the whims of my ideas. We build what we believe, our theology, through leaning into the consistency of the Bible. And hear me, this is a big one. Our theology is strengthened when we lean into community that's going in the same direction. This strengthens us. Have you felt that? You come in maybe one Sunday, you're unsure about what you think about something, and God begins to speak to you in the context of his word through a group of people in agreement, and then all of the sudden, what felt like you had little faith for, your faith begins to swell. It's because we're made to do this together, not to be on an island. Look, anytime someone begins to isolate themselves, it, it's almost a guarantee that it's just a matter of time until they are crushed. And so look, I, I, we, we, we have something that, that's not utilized enough. And so I, I want to tell you about it because it's going to strengthen you. On our website, under About Us, it says what we believe. And what you will find there is our doctrinal statement. 
which is so important to who we are as a church. Because it is the foundation based on the plumb line that we're building this house on. And we want you to not just read it. We want that to be a resource for you that you can come back when you have ideas that are flying in your head that feel contrary to who God is and who he's called you to be, that you're not trying to sort through what you think, but you can come to the plumb line and you can say, what does the Bible say about what I'm feeling right now? And look, this is not just like for identity and gender. This is for like anger and bitterness. We can justify being bitter at people, but that's what culture tells us to do. That's not what the plumb line tells you to do. We can justify being angry at people because they've wronged us, but that's what culture, that's my preference. But that doesn't tell me what the plumb line's telling me. And so when we have all of, I mean, every day we are inundated with so many things that swirl around in our heads. That's why we have 2 Corinthians telling us, take your thoughts captive, make them obedient. Because if you don't, they will lead you down a path of destruction. Why? Because ideas matter. What we allow to live in our head matters. Because it will affect what we think, not just about history and culture. It will affect what we think about God. Therefore, we live by the plumb line. And who cares if culture says like, yo, this is what's normal now. Or no, 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 actually now it's this. Reset your plumb line over here. No. The plumb line's been set. And this is our safety net. This is for our good. I might not like it, but my kids don't like it when I tell them to stop eating candy, but it's for their good. Because when my kids smile, I want you to see teeth. If it was up to them, all you would see is gums. Because these children can put away candy unlike anything I've ever seen. Ain't nobody hungry at my house until Skittles shows up. And then everybody acts like they hadn't eaten in four months. When I say put that down, they don't like it. But that doesn't mean that it's not right. Do me a favor, stand to your feet. Our response today is very simple. Where we have drifted, all we must do is repent and return. Repent meaning turn away from how we followed our ideas about what's right and turn back to the ideas that God has set that is right. And then from this place, we begin to build our theology. Who is God? 
Who has he called me to be? What is his plan, not just for my life, but humanity? What does the Bible say about those things? And then we live our lives from there and allow the strength of who he's called us to be to give us what we need as we are engaging the world out there. Amen? Can you just lift your hands to heaven? I want to pray for you. Lord, I'm asking that right now across this room that you would fill this place with the revelation of the power of the word of God. That we would be a people that build our lives on the cornerstone, the foundation of Jesus. That the plumb line that has been set of righteousness and goodness and justice would lead our lives. And Lord, we repent for every way that we have tried to make the Bible fit into what we believe. And Lord, we say that today, we're, any place we've done that, we're turning from our thoughts on scripture to your thoughts for our lives. And we say, God, use us to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on.